y'all. Thank y'all. Praise God. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I still remember what Pastor Grady preached last week. <laughs> Wherever we go, we're kind of taking the house of the Lord with us because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to open up a word of prayer and just give God praise and glory. You in the live stream, thank you for, uh, for joining us. We ask you to give us a thumbs up or a like in the uh, whatever app you're using. And um, if you're looking at s over somebody's phone or iPad and you're under, you have to do it in secret because of what you're going through. Double blessing. Triple blessing upon you. We're going to pray right now. Father God, we thank you for this glorious morning you blessed us with. Hallelujah. 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 Praise to the King. Think of that old hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Our great Redeemer's praise. The glories of our God and, God and King. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Father God, we ask your very presence would walk amongst us. Even to those who are um, looking on us in the live stream, they will feel like they are a part of this. When they hear the word, it will pierce the heart. Bring encouragement and conviction, Lord. For those in sick in body, Lord, that the word will bring a touch, a comfort, Lord. That your name would be praised. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God from whom all 
Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Is our God? 
songs <laughs> prepare you got a new song next week but we were just uh, rehearsing one time and like this is like early in spring sometime and this song came to me so finally fleshed it out I hope it's a blessing here we go there is joy in the presence of the Lord there is joy in the presence of the Lord. By His grace and mercy, our lives have been restored. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. Began His plan before the earth was formed. The Lord knew we needed His grace. He sent his son, his only son, was born to shed his own blood in our place. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise our God and Savior forevermore. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. There's joy in the presence of the Lord. By His grace and mercy, our lives have been restored. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. When we look back, we'll know what He has done. He raised us whenever we'd fall. All things He's done to bring us to His Son. He saved us the moment we call. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the King of all kings and Lord of Lord. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. By His grace and mercy, our lives have been restored. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. Oh, glory to God most high. Praise to the Holy Lamb of God. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. 
There is joy in the presence of the Lord. By His grace and mercy, our lives have been restored. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Can we all please stand? She ran off stage, but without Kayla, that song would not have happened. <laughs> she pulled it together. God bless you. Praise God. There is joy. Our scripture reading is from James chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over ju judgment. You may be seated. I didn't know we were doing Sunday school. Okay. Yeah, we can dismiss our kids. Jennifer, I think, is going to be. There she comes. Good morning. Good morning. We have a lot of travelers out this week. Must be nice, huh? Well, I hope that God blesses them and keeps them safe. And I hope he blesses us this morning as we get into the Word. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Our title this morning is Appropriate Church Discipline. Yeah, no wonder everybody's out this morning. <laughs> now we know. Everybody reads ahead. Yeah. Well, let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you that you have just given us all that we need, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the written word. We have, Lord, um, just an incredible opportunity to study and to, to learn, to grow, and to apply. The Holy Word of God. And as we have studied in recent days, Lord, uh, about being accountable, uh, being good stewards of the mysteries of God, Lord, we want to be good stewards of everything that you give us. Because I want to hear, as all of us do, well done, our good and faithful servant, not uh, depart from me, for I never knew you. And, Lord, it's so important for us to really understand that the relationship we have with you is what this is all built upon. Teach us this morning. Encourage us this morning. And let us come to understand the truth of who you are in us and in the body working together. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we saw the pride in the church. Paul called them out on how they were in some cases elevating men and in other cases they were, you know, belittling them or looking down on them. The church was clearly not keeping their eyes on Jesus. Now the church in their day was doing pretty well according to themselves. Their prosperity was up. Things were going well. They weren't under a lot of conflict at this point in the church of Corinth. And they had no real need for anything. 
kind of reminds us of where we are today here in the United States, doesn't it? We're pretty confident. We've got money in the bank. We've got things happening. Granted, we've got problems and we've got issues, but we still have a lot of freedoms that other countries don't have. We can worship together, and we can work, and we can gain that American dream that people keep talking about. And carnality creeps in when we start focusing on these things. And that's what happened there, and that's what's happening here. Self-sufficiency. That comes along, and it brings division in the body. See, the thing is, the real, real bottom line about division in the church is not really about the things you, 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 um, you may differ on. It's really about pride and the fact that you come to be self-sufficient that you become, in a sense, God. So when anybody comes around you that doesn't agree with you, then obviously you have the authority, being your own God, to tell them they're wrong and you have the division and everything coming on it. Now, that's a harsh way of looking at it, but ultimately that's really what it's all about. We tend to push God off the throne and put ourselves on it. That's just the human nature. That's why God continues to strive with us, and the Spirit strives with us, and the Word of God strives with us to point out, listen, there are some basic truths and understandings that we've got to get a hold of, and we need to hang on to them and not let ourselves find, uh, find ourselves looking as being self-sufficient or the fact that we're just comfortable, become complacent. And again, issues of, of division come up. And many were looking down on Paul and their, their apostles because they were suffering, particularly Paul. Paul was a suffering apostle in prison most of the time. He was in prison, out of prison. Sometimes it was house arrest. But sometimes it was in a dungeon. And sometimes he was chained to another uh, soldier the whole time. Now, that would have been hard on that soldier, probably harder on him than it was on Paul. <laughs> if he wasn't a believer, he'd know all about it. It would be up to him whether he believed or not. But it's highly likely that the church of Corinth was suffering from the same religious spirit that we're dealing with here today in the United States. False teachings rise concerning lack of faith and lack of blessings. If you're suffering, you must have an unrepented sin. And that's some teaching out there that will tell you these things. Or your faith is, is just not strong enough. You need to go, go get on your knees and, and start believing more so God will prosper you more. And if you have problems with that, send me a little money and I'll help you with your faith. And that's what a lot of this stuff is happening. It's, it, it's happening in the church today. Paul constantly had to defend his calling because of this very thing. People want to see a man of God looking the part, having the right education, looking the, the best and, and, and tall and all of these things and living in the material blessings of God. Because if, if he has all that together, then that means that he's going to tell me how to have it all together. And so people are looking for men in the wrong way. Who wants to be seen with a vagabond or one who doesn't meet their expectations? This is a fleshly mindset within the body of Christ today. Remember, Jesus didn't meet the expectations either. A lowly 
humble man. Not much in appearance at all from what the scriptures tell us. But they were looking for a knight on a white horse, bearing a sword as their Messiah. And here comes Jesus, a servant. And when he did ride on anything, it was a donkey. It wasn't the white horse. They rejected their Messiah because he didn't look the part. As we've studied often, God isn't interested in what you look like. He's definitely not interested in what you bring to the table. He looks at the heart. And unfortunately, man only wants to look at the surface. So Paul wrapped up last week's portion of this letter with a warning. And he said, basically, listen, Lord willing, I'm coming. And I'm coming either with a rod or with a gentle spirit. Basically, you decide how you want me to be. Because when I come, I'm going to see where the power is. Whether it be in your words, which it won't be if you're all puffed up. Or actually in power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. God will give the power. Paul being the apostle that God had appointed to the Gentiles who planted this church will know where that power is. And where does it lie? Now this week Paul addresses a very specific problem in the church. And it's sexual sin. And we're going to see how the church should be dealing with this issue as all sin issues. As we go through this. So let's begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning with verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Hey, I want to be a new lump. Since truly you're unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral, immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? 
But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So word has come back to Paul that this sexual sin is now occurring in the church, in the church of Corinth, and everyone seems to know about it. And rather than addressing the problem, they're either accepting it or ignoring it. Probably accepting it. It appears that they're not too concerned about it. And rather than mourning, they're prideful about it. The church had come to believe that their religious freedom had extended to their fleshly desires. And that's a dangerous place, very dangerous place for the church. Paul said this in Galatians 5.1. He said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, in this passage, Paul was talking about not being sucked back into legalism in the church. This is a, in the church in Galatia. Uh, there were Jews that were coming that were saying, listen, you're not really Christian unless you are circumcised. So you have to go through the whole thing, and then you pretty much have to go by the law. So they wanted to pull them back into the Mosaic law and the bondage of the Mosaic law. We are no longer bound by the Mosaic law. We are set free. God did not dis destroy it. Jesus fulfilled it. So if Jesus fulfilled it, we, being in Jesus, have accomplished it. So therefore, we no longer have to live it out day by day. It's not about the written law. And a lot of people stumble over different points of that because they say, well, you know, the Sabbath never changed. And, 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 and God actually put the Sabbath, the day of rest, in before you know, the law, so therefore we have to observe the Sabbath day. Yes, observe it in Jesus. He is your Sabbath now. He is your rest. He is your ability to not be immoral. He is the one that keeps you from stealing, from lying, from cheating, from committing adultery. It's all in Him. Otherwise, you're really pulling yourself out of your relationship with Jesus and saying, okay, now it's up to me to be holy. Well, if that were possible, Jesus wouldn't have had to come, would he? He says, be holy because I am holy. Well, how do we become holy? We die to ourselves. It's no longer us that live. It's Christ that lives in us. He is our holiness. Now, there's still a responsibility there. And the responsibility is to not be sucked back into the bondage of the law of sin and death. The fleshly lifestyle, the fleshly mindset, the desires of the flesh. That's what's going on in Corinth right now. Their liberty of having Jesus and building on that, they're set free from the law. No, they know, based on Paul's writings, that we don't have to live in the bondage to the law. But now, they've carried it a little further. And they're in this place that, well, not only do we need to be bound by the law, we're free to do whatever we want to do. Now, Paul wrote, he said, listen, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial. You know, we have to come to the point of understanding that being lawful means that we are now surrendering ourselves to Jesus, not that we're forcing ourselves to do something or not do something, but living in Jesus means that we allow Him to live through us. 
2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. It says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are what? Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, our liberty that we have is freedom from the law of sin and death that we're being transformed into His image now. We're becoming like Jesus. Not that we can have the freedom to do what we want to do. That's not at all what Jesus came to bring to us. Jesus came to give us freedom from death, freedom from the law of sin and death, freedom from the bondage that sin grabs a hold of us and holds on to. And sin is bondage. If we're free from that bondage, why would we want to go back under it? In the name of freedom. We can do this. We can do that. And even if you're not practicing it well, if somebody is, eh, well, you know, they're okay. I heard them pray a prayer. So they're fine. God will work it out. Live and let live. Now, I'll be honest with you. There is that mentality that has crept within the body of Christ many, many years now. The live and let live syndrome has crept in from the world into the church to say, listen, who am I to say? Who am I to judge? Well, we're going to get into that in a few minutes. Because the church has a responsibility to stand for God's truth. We're being transformed into His image, which means our old fleshly nature has to die. In 1 Corinthians 6, 15-20, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have from God. And you're not your own. Very important part of that passage. You're not your own. You're bought with the price. Goes on, for you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And one more passage here referring to the same thing, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Are. Now, these passages make it very clear that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have freedom, we have liberty, and that liberty is from the bondage of legalism, 
That liberty is from being entrapped into some teaching that puts God in a box. The liberty is a freedom to allow the Holy Spirit to move as He sees fit in you, as He wills, with the gifts, with talents, with whatever it is He wants to do in your life. We're not our own. But what this liberty does not do is give you freedom than to live as the world lives. That's not a freedom that is given in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, well, I, I don't understand this. I mean, I have these desires. I have these things I want to do. Yes, you do. That's the flesh. And Paul goes into very much of a detail of what the works of the flesh are in Galatians. But he also goes into detail what a walk in the Spirit looks like. And therefore, we're to walk in the Spirit and not entertain the will of the flesh any longer. So our freedoms that we have have boundaries. It was one of the titles we had recently. You know, we have to stay within the boundaries that are set. And it's not to harm us. It's not to hurt us. It's to protect us. So that we don't go back into the old fleshly mindset. And so we have to look at it from this way. Paul is very clear. And he says that sexual sin defiles the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which each of us are. Now today. With this mindset being entered into the body of Christ. It's happening around us. I've personally seen situations where adultery was found out about, brought to leadership, but rather than applying church discipline, it was swept under the rug. Why? Because the person involved was on the worship team. He was talented, and he looked good, and we didn't want that kind of stigma in the church. So let's just kind of hide it. Let's push it under the rug. We've seen over and over and I'm not picking on the Catholic Church, but particularly that's where it's been shown, is priests that have had abuse of children, sexual abuse of children, and rather than being dealt with appropriately, they just move them to another place. And it starts all over again. This even happened, I watched this documentary not too long ago, in the 1960s, a priest abduct, abducted a young woman, and killed her. And it was the second time that he had attacked someone. It was known. What did they do? They shipped him off somewhere. They didn't deal with it. And for 60 years, it was covered. It finally came out. He was no longer a priest anymore at that time. By his own choice, I believe he had a family. But this is the kind of thing that happens too many times. And it's not just the Catholic Church. Recently... And again, I, I don't mean to point out these names of denominations and condemning them. They're good, good, solid biblical teaching in a lot of these places. But, but in the Baptist organization, there's been a huge cover-up by the organization itself over sexual sin. And what were they doing? They were actually attacking the accusers to push it under the rug. And big leaders went a long time before it ever came out. It's happened in the Church of God. It's happened in the Methodist. It's happened in the Presbyterian. It happens in every denomination, in every level of the church. Why? Because men take their eyes off of Jesus 
And rather than dealing with problems the way the Bible tells us to deal with them, they're covered up or in some cases accepted. Well, you know, it's just the way things are today. Well, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. And these things are happening. Examples that I've shown here are given that kind of keep things hidden and out of shame. But Paul is addressing the fact that this is a fully known sin and seems to be accepted. There are some that practice this openly in certain circles today. I, I hear winds of it, and, and it's third party, so I can't, I can't say. But I know the people who told me that they were approached with couple exchanges in the church where they actually go home with a different partner. Now this is in the body of Christ. How did it come to this? Where does this where does it how does it escalate to this point? And these circles are there, and if people outside know it's there, you gotta know that people inside know it's there. Because somebody got approached that wasn't interested. But did they go to anybody? Did they deal with it? Well, I haven't heard of anything dealt with in these areas. But, and like I said, this, this testimony came straight from someone that I know personally. So I know it happened. Some of these people were, were in church ministry, not just in the body. So if this is true, why isn't anything being done to address it or to stop it? Well, the answer could be one or two things. It could be more than one or two things. But the main two that come to mind is either acceptance or fear of the fallout if it's dealt with. The church today is looked at as a business institution more than it's looked at as a house of worship for believers. It's all about the money. It's about the power. And many who practice these things, unfortunately, are possibly, if not probably, pretty wealthy or in a level of self-sufficiency financially. And if that's the case, they may be good tithers, good givers. So how do we address somebody? I mean, look, we got bills to pay. We can't run somebody off. If they've got sin in their life, because they, they, they pay to the church. So what do you do? Cover it up. Pretend it's not there. Hopefully it won't bubble up. But listen, these things always bubble up. Sin is like a volcano. And it stirs in the depths of the souls of men. And when it erupts, it's not always a huge lava flow right away. Matter of fact, think about Mount St. Helens. They were monitoring that, that uh, volcano for a long time. And they came down and they were giving warnings days ahead of time. Listen, this thing's got activity now that's never had. But when it blew, it didn't just come off the top and lava came down. It blew a third of the side of the mountain off. It left devastation for miles. A lot of people died because they didn't take it serious. And it happened so fast when it happened. And the ash came down like snow, covering. It was, a, it was horrible destruction. But that was, it, was, it was bubbling up, bubbling up. 
And this is what happens in the church. It's when something is lying there and it's bubbling, eventually it's going to bubble up and it's going to come out if it's not dealt with appropriately. Now, there can be fallout even if it is dealt with appropriately. But that's not your responsibility or my responsibility to worry about. We have to put it in God's hands and allow Him to handle the fallout as it comes, but you still have to base it on God's Word and you have to stand firm on what God's Word says. So we look at these two things here, the love of money, sometimes because of the church finance. You may say, well, the love of money means that you're so, so want to be rich. You know, well, the Bible is clear about that. Yeah, don't let yourself desire to be rich so that, you know, the love of money comes in. Matter of fact, we'll read that when it says in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, some will say, okay, well, they're not really loving money when they're doing this. They, they have the money. And I'm going to be honest with you. The more money that you have to do what you want to with opens up doors that you couldn't open before. You couldn't open those doors. But now the opportunity arises because you have the ability and the means to do it. And once you have that, and if your eyes are not focused on Jesus and handling your finances appropriately, you begin to spend money on your desires. Well, you buy that fancy sports car at 55 or 60 years old because you're going through a midlife crisis because you can afford it. And you're driving down the road and that young woman looks over your way and all of a sudden a door's open that wasn't open when you were driving the clunker. You see where I'm going with this? It's not driving a sports car is bad. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is, is that when you are in a place of self-sufficiency, when you're a place of financial security, when you're a place where you're no need of Jesus because you don't really, you're pretty much doing everything for yourself, then your eyes get on everything else that draws your mental and lustful attention, and the next thing you know, you're sucked into it. And it happens in the church. And is happening in the church. Now another reason that sexual sin and other issues are not dealt with in the church discipline is because discipline itself has been put aside. Church discipline has been put aside. And here's the main reason is because we don't want to be known to judge one another. Unfortunately, the teaching on judging one another has been misconstrued. The first thing out of anybody's mouth who claims to be a believer, if you point something out to them, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Those are the, this is what happens all the time. So you don't want to be known to be judging because you have teaching that say, don't judge. I mean, Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not that you may not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye who do not consider the plank in your own eye? So let's look at this passage in context. What is Jesus saying here? 
he says, don't go about as a busybody looking for other people's sin so you don't have to look at your own. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus says we should not do. We are not to go around as the, the, the judgment police, the sin police. Up, oh, I saw that. I saw that, you know. And trying to find anybody and everybody's sin so that we honestly don't have to look in the mirror and look at our own. That's what Jesus says don't do because if you do that, whatever letter, level, get it out, level of self-judgment you're placing on somebody else will be measured right back on you. That's sin within itself. Because you're not willing to first come to God and say, clean me up, oh God. Fill this cup, oh God. Mold me and shape me the way you want me to be. Let me see you and let you see me. And we're in this relationship so that I am trying to be and living to be in relationship with you. So that if there is sin in my life, I want it gone. And when we have that attitude and we come to Jesus with that mindset. And we're in his word. Then and only then. Are we in a place to be able to come to a brother or sister and say, listen, there's something going on here that's not aligned with God's word. And we need to talk about it. And it's okay to do that. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 tells us when, when someone sins against us, and this applies in other ways, but, but that's what this context is. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two uh, more, that by the faith of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let it be known to him, uh, I'm sorry, let him be known to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So there is an appropriate way to deal with going to a brother or sister. And again, I believe this same process applies if it's not someone that's done something to you, but you're aware of something, that a lifestyle that they're, that they're living with, or even if they've fallen into sin, it needs to be addressed. And you can go with a gentle heart and a gentle spirit and approach and say, listen, I love you. I love you enough to tell you that What's going on in this situation does not align with God's word here. Now, we're not taking the Bible and beating them up with it. Because I promise you this, that most people who have fallen into a sin or who are deliberately living a sin, they know what the Bible would say about that if they call themselves a believer. But it doesn't apply to them for whatever reason they, they have rationalized. So you go to them and you share with them, listen... I love you, and I want you to know that this, I'm not coming with the heart of judgment, but the Word of God speaks this. And it's okay to do this. It's okay for the church to do this. And it's not just okay, it should be done. It should be done. If it's not done, then this lump <laughs> is growing. And it affects and defiles the whole body. We approach with gentleness. 
But if they don't adhere to the truth of God's word, then go to them with witnesses and, if necessary, to the church. Church discipline is essential to the health of the body. Paul uses the term a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. And sin needs to be purged out of the body or else the whole body is sick. It is. It affects the whole body. In the physical body, cancer is surgically removed to save the life of the person. In practice, habitual sin is a cancer to the body of Christ. And it's okay to judge it. And Paul gives another example of this in 1 Corinthians 6, 1-5. through 5. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the, before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are at least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? Now, he's talking about lawsuits here. But again, it applies to what we're talking about. God's word is God's word. God's word is truth. We as believers should study God's word. We should understand the basic truths. Now, there are things that we're not going to necessarily understand. There are things we've talked about this in many of our studies. Where sometimes we get out of line and think we know more than we know. We've talked about all of that. I'm not talking about the things that are not written plainly. I'm talking about the things that are. And there are very specific things that are clear in the Word of God. And they are right and wrong issues. They are sinful issues. And we can't ignore them. We can't say, well, God didn't really mean that. He, he really didn't. I mean, what it really means is, and, oh, God's grace. God's grace covers it all. I, all my sins are covered. There I can, I can keep go sinning. No. What did Paul say? Should I continue in sin so grace may abound? God forbid. That's not the lifestyle. It is, comes down to a lifestyle. Now listen, I want to make a point here. Because it's just, there, there's two different ways to look at this. Regarding those who fall into a sin. And who receive correction. Versus the ones who enter into sin. And decide it's okay to stay there. You handle those two totally different. You may approach them the same way in the beginning, but you handle the whole thing differently as you go through. And it's, I, I need to be very clear. There, is some, there are some people who fall into sin, and even in it, they know it. And they have this, oh, heaviness, conviction. But they may be in bondage. They may be in bondage. But they want to be free. And those people are ones that we can love through this together, hand in hand, and bring them through. Not alienate them. That's not the one that we separate from the body. That's the one we circle the wagons on and, and, and encourage. And men, particularly, I'm going to talk to you here for a second, guys. 
Because men struggle with this. If you don't, you're lying to yourself. Or you're just way past the age, which is funny. I heard, a, heard one time, I, I heard one time this guy, they, it was a men's conference, and, and, uh, and, and they had this discussion, and this question came up. At any point, do you grow out of this, these temptations? And this 80-year-old man stand up and said, no, you don't. And it's like, man, that's discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, men, it's out there. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you turn. It's available. Sexual sin is crouching at every door. And pornography? It's a sin. We don't talk about it like we should. It's a sin. Men struggle with it. And they struggle with it in secret because... If they bring it out and let somebody know they struggle with it, unfortunately, they have been handled like the one that Paul is addressing here, and people want to run them off and abuse them. It's not about that. It's about bringing it to light so you can say, we love you through it. We want to love you through it. But this is a problem. It starts there and escalates. And it starts at young age. I was exposed to it at 13 years old. It was wide open on the shelves and the racks of the grocery store. Now, I'm being very intimate here. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just telling you the truth. I had to go to the grocery store with my mom. They wouldn't leave me home at 13. Well, it's just the way it was. So she'd go to the grocery store. I'd go to the drugstore. And I stood there for an hour. Every two weeks. Feeding that flesh. And it took years upon years upon years to come to the point where I can let it go. Now, I'm being honest. Men, it's there. And now you can get in on your phone. Your computers. Wherever there's a quiet little cubbyhole. Now, what I'm telling you, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because we can no longer allow ourselves as a body of Christ to say this doesn't exist and that we keep it secret, it's okay. It's that volcano I was telling you about. And it's not just men. Some women struggle with this too, but mainly it's a visual thing. Men struggle with it. But that leads to something else. It leads to desires. It leads to, to the wants and feeding that lust. And the next thing you know... You're in a place to where you're actually trying to live some of these things out. This happened to a Calvary Chapel pastor down in Fort Lauderdale. He got into it. Next thing you know, he's living things out. It came out, and they, he's, he's gone. He's divorced. Unrepentant, from what I understand. I don't know the full story there. But pride comes back to the core root of pride. And I know this is uncomfortable, and I apologize to those who might be uncomfortable with the message this morning. But we have to look at it, and we have to deal with it. Again, there are some who fall into it and agonizing because it does. It's addictive. It's very addictive. But those who are willing to repent 
and walk through it and have those accountability partners or have things put on your phones, have those things set that other people can monitor, it's important. Do it. Don't be ashamed because you have to. And if you're beyond all that, don't be ashamed to do it anyway because it's a protective measure. And that way you know that that moment might come that you're alone in that place. Hey, well, somebody else is watching too. Well, let me give you a little secret. Jesus is always watching. <laughs> That's a humbling thought, isn't it? So if you have that, we should be about restoration for those who stumble. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Go with the spirit of gentleness. Now, with that said, according to Paul, here in this passage, we, the body of Christ, can and should judge sin in the camp. It's a responsibility that we have. It's verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are, on, who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. This is very clear. We, the body of Christ, are to judge ourselves, not in the mind of the flesh, but in the spirit, according to the word of God. And if it is determined that a sin is in the camp, it needs to be exposed, addressed. And if they don't want to be deal with it, it needs to be removed. Going back to verses 9 through 11. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> Listen, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He doesn't take you home. He becomes your home. And you become His. But He leaves you here. For a purpose to glorify God in your body and in your spirit to be a light to the world this is why it's so important that we understand it's easy and, and I do it I know I do it. it's so, so hard not to to get flustered when you hear these movements happening across the nation and they're gaining all this ground and the media is just hyping it all up and then we're the bad guys because we stand against it but the truth is is that these things are the world that's the world. We're not to judge that. We, we can judge it based on God's word. And we can, yes, approach people in love and say, listen, I just want you to know that there's a better way. That a relationship with Jesus Christ is what you need. That's what we need in the world. But in the church, in the church, it needs to be dealt with differently. Because for someone to say they're a brother or sister who is practicing a sin that is very specific against God's word, then we have to come and address it head on. Again, approach gently, but be prepared to handle it and walk it through. We're left in this world with the worldly people. But Paul goes on and says, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Not even to eat with them. If you know they're living in sin and it hadn't been dealt with. So what it tells us is we're not to alienate those in the world or even really judge them. 
Now, we do know that the spirit behind these movements are demonic. And we can call that out. But the people are deceived. The world is deceived. A brother or sister is beyond deception. They've bought into it. If they, find, if, they, if they believe it, they can live a certain way and do a certain thing. If they're living that way, they need to be addressed. Jesus was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. How did he respond? Well, Matthew 9, 9 through 13 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. <laughs> I desire mercy. And not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. Now. And ultimately what he's saying. I didn't come to call the self-righteous. Because there's none righteous without him. So if you call yourself righteous. And you don't believe in Jesus. Then you're self-righteous. And those are the ones he's talking about. And come for you. You got your God. You've become your own God. I'm coming for those. Who are sinners. And I'm going to share with them the good news. But if a brother or sister is living a lifestyle that goes against God's word, they should be judged and dealt with as the word has laid it out for us. This is not giving us permission to go on a witch hunt. We're not supposed to be the ones always scouring to find somebody's sin. That's evil within itself. We're supposed to be about loving one another. And we're supposed to be about uh, having relationships with one another. All founded and grounded upon the word of God. So let me exhort you this morning as we come to a, to the, to a close here. With a word of encouragement as well as a word of warning. We as a body. Body of Christ. Christ, we need to be a place of self-examination when dealing with these kinds of situations. We should always approach in the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word, not in fleshly emotion or anger or piousness. Do not take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and go swinging it with your fleshly arm. This will result in more damage and good in the body which should always come with the heart of mercy but also we don't need to be afraid to approach a brother or sister if they're practicing a sinful lifestyle even if they use the fateful defense you can't judge me the truth is you're not you're not judging them the word of God is judging them the word itself brings judgment. John, John 12, 47 through 48. He says, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, 
I do not judge him. This is Jesus speaking. I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world this time. (laughs) This time inserted by me. But to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. So here we are. We're in this place today in the church where there's a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Casual thinking regarding the word of God. It's kind of gotten, well, everybody thinks differently about different things. Everybody has different views on this. Listen, there are people in this room that we could sit and discuss certain subjects. We're not going to agree on them. And you know what? That's okay. Because we don't have all the answers. We may think we have more than we have, or we may think that, that we understand it more in a way. But let me tell you something. When we meet Jesus face to face, every area that we thought we knew that wasn't specifically written, we may get a realignment. Real quick, and I'm pretty sure all of us will have something somewhere where that's going to happen. Because none of us have it all right. If one person stands before you and says, this is absolute, and the Word of God does not clarify that, then I wouldn't necessarily listen to their absoluteness. Because there's many, like I said, there's some in heaven today, the great theologians that probably got a spanking already. Because they drew hard lines that scripturally could not be supported. But yet, they had to have an answer. That's one area. So there are things that we can do, and we're going to live among a lot of people as believers and not agree on everything. The problem that we would have is when we draw such a hard line that we push other people away over those issues. That's non-biblical. That's sin within itself. Because you're dividing yourself against the the body of Christ. You're dividing the body of Christ based on your opinions and what you think you know rather than the Word of God. But when it comes to sin... And it's written, and it's blatant, and there's no way you can take that and make it anything other than what it says. Those issues need to be dealt with. They need to be dealt with head on, and they need to to have it it handled, because otherwise that lump is going to continue to grow. And trust me, if you have a group of people or an individual, in this case just an individual who's practicing this sin, and this individual was accepted by the church, not dealt with, It was known. What's going to happen is if things like that aren't dealt with, other people will start coming along and thinking, well, this is okay. Now you've got more people practicing this kind of sin. And the next thing you know, you've got a whole group in your church that's practicing this kind of sin. Now how does that look to the world? When the world says, well, I don't see much difference in the church. Why do I want to be a Christian? Number one, they're always fighting with one another over things that don't matter. And number two... They're doing the same things I'm doing. So I don't need their Jesus. There's no power. If there's no power of deliverance of sin, why do I need to be a believer? Unless you just have that one fear moment and you just pray a prayer just so you checked it off on your insurance policy, but then go back and live in a lifestyle the way you want to. See, the truth is, is the church has a responsibility to the Word of God. This goes back to what we talked about last week. Again, we have to be good stewards. 
Now, there's a way to do this appropriately. There's a bad way to do it inappropriately. And then there's the third option, which is don't do anything at all. And unfortunately, I think that's happening more than anything else. All because we don't want to affect the institution of the church. We've grown so big. We've gotten this thing going. It's going to be an embarrassment. It's going to be a black eye. But at the same time, you've got to be careful that you're not so harsh that you run somebody off who's broken and needs mercy. We have to approach everyone with the heart of mercy. That's how Jesus approached us. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is what Jesus said. So, we need to keep these things open in our hearts and in our minds. Again, not to go out and search out and turn over every rock and say, Aha! But, if you do see, and you know, because of someone's actions, that they're in a situation that is biblically wrong, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed with appropriate church discipline. Church discipline needs to be brought back to the church. And that's why people who are not teaching the full counsel of God's words will be accountable as well. Because if you can't call something sin out of fear of offending somebody, then you got a problem. Because the word of God is clear on what sin is. Sin is rejecting God's truth. In whatever area of your life that you may decide that it doesn't apply to you or that that's just not something you can do because you, you want this too badly. That's, that's wrong and that's sin. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God brings the judgment. We just need to be willing vessels to listen to the Holy Spirit. Very important. Come humbly. Go to the mirror first. Say, God, please change my heart. Remove things from me. And I've seen this happen before. I, uh, in the church one time, uh, one of the youth pastors, was in, he, he fell into alcoholism. And he was drinking. And one of the older gentlemen of the church just berated him. Ripped him to shreds. Only to find out later he struggled with the same thing. It's a way to handle it. But we need to come to Jesus first. Put ourselves before him. And then ask him. This is an important part of this whole process. Lord Jesus, you see what they're going through. You also see their heart. Give me your heart for them. So that when I approach, I'm approaching in love and in mercy and in the balance of God's word. And I'm not going in my flesh. And I'm not using your sword as a weapon to do what I think needs to be done. Because uh, the word of God is a sword, living word. And it cuts. But it's only going to cut appropriately when the Holy Spirit's doing the cutting. So it's all got to be done in balance. But I want to make sure that you understand that you, as the body of Christ, have a responsibility to God's Word. And don't worry about the outcome. If, you've, if it's done appropriately, 
It's not your place to worry about the outcome. Well, what if I lose a friend? I'm sorry, that happens. That's between them and Jesus. Because if they choose to end a relationship with you because you pointed out God's truth, were they really walking with Jesus and is it really a good friend to be around? According to Paul, in this case, no, get rid of them. Turn them over to Satan that his body, his flesh may be buffeted. In other words, beat down in order that his soul could be saved. See, one thing that I do notice about the church today and in our culture today is we coddle way too much. We coddle. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. We all sin. We all struggle. Don't you worry about it. Jesus loves you. Well, yeah, there's, there's some truth in that, but the real truth is it's not okay if this is where you choose to stay. It's okay that you've confessed. It's okay. You should. It's okay to recognize. It's okay that you come to the point of knowing that this is not where you're supposed to be. All of that is okay. Now, here's the next point. Do you want to be delivered from it or do you want to remain in it? Because there comes where the next, the next step has to come. It's now going to be hard, as Paul said sometimes, or it's going to be more mercy. But we can't coddle. And the Lord told me this a long time ago, just with people that leave the church. He told me, don't chase them. Don't coddle them and don't chase them down. But Lord, I don't want them to go. Yeah, well, maybe I don't want them to go either, but they did for whatever reason. In some cases, he may be the one moving them. So it's not my place to chase people down. It's my place to love them where they're at, but encourage them in the Word of God to listen to Him, to do what He says to do when He says to do it, and to be appropriate in your relationship with Him. That's my role. And if you find that somewhere else, God bless you. I hope that, I hope that God will teach you that wherever you go. But I don't own you. you don't, we don't even have membership cards here. I'm thinking about starting them, though. I'm going to put a lot of things on that membership card. You will bless your pastor. I expect this every single Sunday. No, don't want any of that. I just love you for who you are. But I also want you to know that if something comes to light that we need to talk about, we're going to talk about it. Time's short. We don't have time to be coddling and hiding sin away and pushing it under the rug. We've got to deal with appropriate church discipline as it comes up. So I hope that this message struck a nerve in a good way. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm just going to put it out there. If there's somebody here. I'm not going to have you come to the altar this morning. But you come to me or you can come to another brother. Or if it's a lady you can come to a sister. If you've got an area that you know is not alignment with God's word. Come to, come to prayer. Let's deal with it. Let's cut it right now in the middle. Meet it and deal with it. And then we can circle the wagons with you and we can encourage you and we can bring you through this because that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. But I can tell you this too. If you've got a hidden sin that, you're, that you refuse to even acknowledge, it will be dealt with. It will be, some, it will be found out. They always are. I just leave that with you this morning. Seek the Lord. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. 
He'll expose these things. He'll bring them. But as Paul worded it to the Corinthians, shall I come with the rod <laughs> or come with gentleness? It's the attitude of the heart that makes the difference. So let's keep that in our own hearts and minds as we go forward. Father, we thank you for your word. This is not an easy word today. Maybe I shared more than I should have. Maybe some people are, are, are freaking out over this. But Lord, the truth is, is that we need to be a godly people. We need to be a holy people. We need to recognize your holiness, that you're a holy God. You don't wink at sin. You don't brush it under the rug. And you will deal with it accordingly and appropriately as you see fit. So, Lord, this morning we just come. We submit ourselves, each individually, to you. That first, Lord, purify our hearts. So that, Lord, we're not going out into the church body or even into the world with a heart of judgment. But we come, Lord, as willing vessels to be used, even in these difficult areas, when need be. Your word is true. Your word is a light. And your word, Lord, will always, always accomplish what you send forth for it to do. We just need to make sure that the word is spoken in all areas and in all ways. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We are humble before you. And we give you all praise and all honor and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Show.